This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Well, you have to peel six apples while you're talking. And then there are some things that you have to just make the pie crust and you have to wait until, you know, the food processor is done before you can go on to the next section. Because the next thing I talk about is let's roll out the dough. You know, well, you can't do that until you've got dough. Welcome to The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, produced by the Capital Times. I am your host, Cap Times food editor, Lindsay Christians. My good friend Gwen Rice has been called the pie lady. She shows up to our summer picnics with gorgeous browned lattice top pies filled with strawberries and rhubarb and raspberries. But Gwen is also a playwright. Her play A Thousand Words was produced a few years ago by Forward Theatre Company and Milwaukee Chamber. This weekend, she's bringing those two halves of her life together in Miss American Pie, a new one-woman play where she prepares a pie in front of an audience. The theater is the kitchen. We're going to open this episode with a little excerpt from Miss American Pie. Enjoy! Hey, Sina. I really hope this is working. Uh, obviously, I'm not great with cameras. I, if I'm not always in the frame, don't be surprised when you saw the pictures that I took for the paper. Uh, so it's getting colder here. It's definitely fall now, and the apple orchards all have a- apples. I-, I thought I would get some and finally give you a lesson on making pie, really good pie. I'm sorry we didn't get around to this before you left, but uh, hopefully you will get this, and no matter how your pie turns out, it will be better than that half-baked crap we had at that bakery we reviewed. (laughs) Do you remember that? The Sorrel Sweet Shop. I think that was the first time we worked together. I don't even know if it's still open. I mean, I hope not, because that was just not good. I can still see the look on your face, actually, after you took all those beautiful pictures of the slices of pie, getting the light just right, and then we sat down to try it. I'm sure I had the exact same look on my face, actually. I mean, they said it was the house specialty, the owner's great-grandmother's recipe for Dutch apple crumble pie. The lady behind the counter tells us, people come from all around just for this pie. Oh, my God. What a waste of good ingredients. Not even good. What a waste of mediocre ingredients. All those calories eaten in vain. One bite and you're like, is this what apple pie is supposed to taste like? And I'm like, no, this isn't even what those nasty hostess vending machine pies are supposed to taste like. This is mushy and awful. And it's like eating an apple scented Yankee candle. I love this. (laughs) My next line is, I'm sure I wrote something complimentary for the article. (laughs) So welcome to the Corner Table, Gwen. I am so glad that you are here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So for some context, you have written for the Cap Times before. And I, I edited you. Edited you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we have been friends for a long time. Yes. 
and I've worked together on a lot of performing arts projects. And uh, and now I am also a freelance writer. So I did uh, restaurant reviews for you for a while. Yeah. And got to know a lot of really interesting places in (laughs) Madison that I would not have visited otherwise. And learned a lot about, uh, you know, the differences between writing a a theater review and just a regular article Mm -hmm. and writing a, a sort of an informational evaluation, I would say, of of a lot of offbeat places. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I I had a lot of fun uh, writing those reviews. We first met through theater, and you are a playwright, among many other things. And you're here today because you wrote a play in which you also bake a pie. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's it's opening, uh, it's going to be here in Madison on the 14th, I think, of November, 15th. No, the 14th through the 16th. The 14th through the 16th yep. of November. So. Um, but I, I wanted to first, like, have you here to talk about why you decided to do that, okay. <laughs> uh, among many other things. But I guess I just I want to start there. Like, how did you get the idea to to write this play? Sure. Well, um, one person shows uh, pop up every once in a while, and they can be just incredible theatrical evenings. Uh, I mean, I've seen some amazing ones. And, uh, and they're very popular, uh, especially at festivals or for theaters to do just, you know, it's, it's economical. It's sort of a tour de force for an actor. Uh, I had never written one before. I had written monologues that are about eight minutes long. And so uh, I thought this would be an interesting challenge. And then I, I actually read about a play that was being done in New York a couple of years ago that was about uh, the Syrian refugee crisis. But it was told in people's kitchens, and the actress who actually performed the monologue would cook a traditional Syrian dish at the same time that she was telling these stories. And so I read this whole article, and then I read reviews of it, and then I ordered the play, and I read that. Uh, And it was just fascinating to me because I uh, love to cook. That is the thing that I love right up with writing, with playwriting and creative writing. And... um, I have had the opportunity both at uh, dinner parties and also um, I actually used to work at um, the historic site Old World Wisconsin as a costumed interpreter. And so part of my job, I was in the kitchen a lot uh, during the summer cooking on a wood stove and then just talking to people at the same time and talking about the recipe and talking about the house and history. And so it felt like a really comfortable place for me to be. So my my first idea was, great, I am going to do a one-person show, and I am going to cook pie. Why pie? I love to cook. I also like to show off a little bit, and I am... I have had a lot of practice now. I am really good at pie making, and I love to share that with people. And it, it actually all started when my husband, who was just my boyfriend at the time, we went to the farmer's market in the spring, and there was rhubarb everywhere. And he said, oh, my God, rhubarb pie. Maybe you could, I don't know, make a pie. And I was like, I'm in love with this man. I'm going to make him a pie. Whatever he asks exactly. for. Exactly. <laughs> And so I made a rhubarb raspberry pie, and he was so impressed that he decided to marry me. I mean, it was kind of instant like that. It was a magical (laughs) moment in our relationship. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so by this time, I've actually – I've made – 
pies for people's graduation parties. I've made them for dinner parties, for picnics. I they've. I mean, I, I entered a contest at work once, and my pie won first place in our bake-off. Um, I actually made pie for the holidays for all my coworkers one year, so uh, so they could take a cranberry raspberry pie home with them that for Thanksgiving. So good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of my thing. Um, and so, yeah, I knew that I wanted to bake a pie while I was talking about something, something dramatic. I had this in the back of my mind, and I, I'm always looking at odd news or odd websites for, like, the germ of an idea. I mean, usually it's something really bizarre that will lead me to an Internet search about something else and something else. And I'm really easily fascinated with history and just the strange things that people do. And so I subscribed to the email Atlas Obscura, and one day they, you know, in all of their stories, they had a story about this historic figure that I'd never heard of named Virginia Dare. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I wonder why this never came up, you know, in my American history classes. And so I, again, went down the rabbit hole and I found out so much about this person. So... She is regarded as the first white child born in the American territory in 1587, and she was born in the Roanoke colony, and she was also baptized here. So from that point on, she was known as sort of the first... Well, she's been held up as like the first white American, which obviously is complicated uh, these days. <laughs> and But at the time, you know, this was like a, a real step forward for English colonization. Um, now, uh, for those of you who don't remember what the Roanoke colony, what happened to all of them, well, nobody else knows either uh, because they were established by John White in 1587. There were about 120 English colonists and he went back to England for more supplies because they got here and they were like, oh, my God, we don't have enough to eat. Um, you've got to go back to England and get stuff. And so he went. He didn't actually come back for two years. And so when he came back, he went to Roanoke and there was no one there. They were all gone? They disappeared. There's a play about that, The Lost Colony, that they do for tourists. <laughs> yes. I saw it as a kid. <laughs> and there are lots of theories about what happened. You know, they could have all uh, died of disease. They could have starved. They could have been adopted by a native tribe that was friendly to them. They could have been attacked by indigenous people. Uh, I mean, there was definitely some uh, tension and and violence on both sides, you know, as the English were coming over here and, and trying to, you know, claim the entire uh, North America for England. And uh, yet nobody really knows. And and there, there just isn't that much there that you can sort of uh, unearth at this point. So it's all it's all speculation. But throughout history, the idea of Virginia Dare has been used a lot of different ways. Like you said, there's the, the musical extravaganza of the Lost Colony, which is done in Roanoke every summer. A very similar version to when it was originally written in the 1930s. It's a very whitewashed, very uh, patriotic telling of the American origin story. So it's definitely of its era. Uh, and like I said, there's there's 
books, there's poems, there's songs, there are companies that have been named after Virginia Dare. I mean, she's she's sort of like Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett or, you know, these mythical characters, Johnny Appleseed, who really did live, but then the stories as they've evolved in American culture have been permutated to other ends or for specific reasons. There's mythology around it, right? Completely. So we don't even know if she grew up, right? She just disappeared with the rest of the colony. She disappeared. I mean, it's it's most likely that she died of starvation or disease before she was two. Uh, Ironically, uh, just as she was sort of used to sort of promote Americana and the, the way that America painted its own picture for a long time. Uh, vdare.com is the name of a, a website that's actually um, a, a hate speech group, uh, as defined by the Southern Poverty Law Center. It's a white nationalist group, right? It is. And uh, it's run by a, a man named uh, Peter Brimelow, who believes, or at least espouses on the site, that uh, white people are being overrun by um, lesser races in America. And he is, uh, right, he is anti-immigration. He wrote a book called Alien Nation, Common Sense About America's Immigration Disaster. So, yeah, he's very pro-white. And he, he says on his website that he actually uses Virginia Dare as a symbol of what can happen when like I said, inferior races uh, impinge upon English white people. And to be clear, you're not saying this. I this am is, not okay. saying this. <laughs> We're just going to be really clear I'm here. saying that Virginia Dare as a person, her name and her, you know, these incredible illustrations that imagine her as this just beautiful, like, Greek goddess um, and vulnerable, very white, blonde-haired beauty it's a trip. It's <laughs> quite something. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So you have these sort of two concurrent ideas. You have like, I want to do something where I am cooking in front of people and then yep. giving them the thing that I made idea, right. right? Yes. And then you sort of along along with that, you have the story of Virginia Dare that sort of comes up. That I was just fascinated by. And again, I was so excited about it. And I was telling my friend about it. And she's like, that's great. That's not dramatic. I'm like, but I am excited about it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, yeah. How do you set the story up so that it can be more of a a tale, a traditional narrative with a beginning, middle, and end, and and less about just facts? Right. And so, uh, as you said, I did work for the Cap Times as a freelancer, and I did restaurant reviews. And one of the people I worked with, uh, I worked with a photographer who used to be here named uh, Sina Bashir. And she was fantastic. Oh, so, so good. Super, <laughs> super fun, really talented. She is from Pakistan. And uh, I got to know her basically over the year leading up to the last election. And so we had a lot of really interesting conversations about, you know, what she was experiencing when she was attending rallies for Trump and covering them for the newspaper and the reaction that she got from Trump supporters. And then uh, she ultimately 
after uh, the inauguration, she ended up moving back to Pakistan. The tenor of the conversation around immigration had really like changed and gotten very heated around the election. Right? And she had had quite a few personal uh, interactions mm-hmm. uh, that she found really difficult. But um, so I started thinking about um, anyone who's living in America right now who has to sort of face the conversations about immigration, uh, being a person of color, being uh, a Muslim, and how how the story of America as we tell it to ourselves, as maybe we learned in first grade, you know, and, and all of the Washington chopped down a cherry tree and then said, you know, I cannot tell a lie to his father. Well, that's actually all made up. That, yeah. that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but that's what we learned. And so I found these three seemingly very disparate uh, uh, storylines. And my challenge was sort of weaving them together, telling these stories in an entertaining, hopefully, way, and making pie at the same time. So uh, so that's what I did. Yeah, sounds easy. Yeah. Oh, and my gosh. <laughs> the play is called Miss American Pie, and it started out at about 48 pages long. It's now down to about 37, just because, well, partly we realized that saying it out loud and then also acting out all of the, well, you have to peel six apples while you're talking, and then there are some things that you have to just make the pie crust, and you have to wait until, you know, the food processor is done before you can go on to the next section. Because so you that, can't talk over the food processor. Right. <laughs> because the next thing I talk about is let's roll out the dough. You know, well, you can't do that until you've got dough. And so, um, yeah, adding in all of the the um, actual cooking adds time. Another part of the the challenge of creating this theater piece is that I didn't necessarily want to do it in a theater. Um, at least for right now, I want to do it in kitchens so that I'm in a working kitchen and I'm actually making a pie. I'm actually baking it right in front of you. You actually get to eat some of the pie when it's done. And it just felt like such a, an intimate space, you know, to go into people's houses. And uh, for the show that we're doing, we have 20 seats for each. Uh, and 20 people in your kitchen feels like a lot. It does. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my hope actually is that I'll get to do the show in lots of people's kitchens uh, as uh, we go through the next year or so or maybe even longer as we're still asking these questions and grappling with, you know, what it means to be as American as apple pie. So you're going to be telling us some true things about the story of Virginia Dare, and mm-hmm. you're, you're basing it on your own experiences, you know, going to these restaurants with Sina and having those experiences mm-hmm. with her. And But this is a fictional piece. Like, you are not yourself, necessarily. Right. And so I wonder, is it important to you, as you talk about this piece with people, as you engage with the audience, that they understand where that line is between you know, sort of truth and fiction, because Sina's name is Sina in, in this piece, right? Right. But it's, but it's not word for word what she said or what no, she did. No, not at all. So how do you make that distinction, like when you're talking about it with people? Well, I mean, I specifically gave my character a different name. Uh, I actually bought a an apron from William Sonoma and had the word Maggie embroidered on it. Oh, that's really cute. <laughs> so it's just a nice little visual reminder that, you know, if you've met me before um, or if you know me well, I'm not the one 
uh, talking, this is a theater piece. And while, you know, there's tons of things in the play that are inspired by all kinds of experiences I've had. And I mean, experiences learning how to bake, um, experiences that I had. Actually, my, my first grade teacher's name is actually in the play. I really had a Mrs. Klein at Milton East Elementary School for my first grade. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's in here, but, but this character is nothing like it. It's just that I'm really bad with names. I mean, if I can be really honest, yeah, I am terrible making up names, and so it's actually just easier for me to to put to draw on random people from my past, you know, b- people I really know, and think, oh well, I'll change that later, or maybe I won't, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and hopefully, you know, I'll be performing in front of most of the people will be, you know folks I don't know. Uh, so there may be a little less. I know when you saw the reading last year, it was uh, it was probably a little confusing because there I was. And and some of the things I was talking about, you knew very well. Yeah, you happened. referenced an editor and I was like, right. wait, that's me. Yes, I did. You're out. You're not. In, no, you are still in the show. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one line. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think all writers uh, draw on their personal experiences, sure. some more than others. And for some, there's a really big line. And for some, there isn't. You know, I, everybody, I think everybody assumes that Garrison Keillor really didn't grow up in Lake Wobegon, but it was someplace like that. Yeah. You know, so I think it's it's sort of like that. You know, it, the play is also set in Madison, not really overtly, but when I was talking about election night and where the Republican party was that night, they were actually in the ballroom at the Concourse Hotel downtown. And so I just put that in because I didn't have a better name offhand, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I think that's that's really the only specifically Madison reference in the play. So I, I could change that, but it's it's just a small detail. It probably it just it's just the name of a hotel, but it happens to be real. You have made so many pies in your life, <laughs> and you must really have the feel of the dough in your hands and and know what it's supposed to feel like and mm-hmm. how things are supposed to be going. If something were to go wrong, <laughs> yes. um, if you cut yourself, if something doesn't work with the dough where it's too wet or too dry or whatever, like, are those things that you are thinking about at all? Because it's, it seems like this other level of things that could go wrong than like in a normal play. There is that. Uh, I mean, I am glad that I'm not frying anything on stage because oh, yeah. I know of other plays that call for people to like fry French fries or, or something where you're dealing with seared. hot oil. They're cooking on stage and right. seared right now. Right. Yeah. I know. The Teresa Rebeck play. Um, and actually chopping up a lot of things. I mean, I'm chopping apples, but I'm not like, you know, chopping the heads off shrimp or something. <laughs> so um, I, I have thought about it. Actually, when uh, so my director, Jen Plants, and and I uh, went to a workshop this summer at a theater company called 1812 Productions in Philadelphia. And it was the first time that the play was really on its feet. And so we were working through several of the sections. And they asked if I needed anything for rehearsal props. And I said, well, yeah, I've actually got this long list. <laughs> and one of the things I needed was a good food processor uh, because that's how I make pie crust. So, I mean, if anybody wants to come see the show and learn my all my tricks of the trade, my secret is uh, absolutely a food processor. And so they got me one, and so we were trying it out one day, but it it wasn't powerful enough to actually like handle two and a half, or two sticks of butter. And so you know, it sort of ground to a halt, and it made a funny noise. <laughs> 
So from then on, I've just decided, you know, I'm going to have to use my own. <laughs> I can't let that be a variable. You identify both as a playwright and as someone who loves to cook for people to show them that you love them. Mm-hmm, for sure. And I wonder if you've thought about how your philosophies of making a play and making a pie line up or don't, like things they have in common and things that make them different. Hmm, that's interesting. Uh, I put together a, a little recipe book for some friends of mine, just with all of my favorite recipes in it. I did this for Christmas a few years ago, and the title of my little book was uh, Food is Love at My House, and that really is the encapsulation of my uh, philosophy. I mean, with my playwriting, I, I'm always looking for something that's going to be exciting, interesting. You know, I tell my playwriting students the first, you know, couple minutes should just like grab your audience by the shoulders and shake them. And, you know, something that subverts expectations. Maybe there's um, a, a discovery or a love story or a uh, a surprise at the end of the story that makes you think as you leave the theater. Um, you know, there's a destination that uh, you didn't realize that's where you were going, but you're happy to have gone along the journey. I mean, that's that's sort of my ultimate play experience, either when I'm seeing one or when I'm when I'm writing one. And so with food, it's it's sort of similar. You know, I have introduced my friends to all kinds of crazy food that they would not have eaten otherwise. I made duck for a dinner party once, and that really freaked out some of my friends, right? I mean, even this was a long time ago, but I remember making a, a salad with goat cheese on it, and they were like, what is this? I'm like, no, no, it's, <laughs> it's the latest thing. You're really going to like it. You know? <laughs> um, plus, if I can really impress somebody, then I'm just so happy. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Like I said, I'm a terrible ham. You know, a round of applause I don't think is out of line at all. You know, when when, <laughs> when you, you put a pie sit, on the table, when you sit down at a, at a marvelous dinner and someone's obviously gone to a crazy amount of work ahead of time, you know, just just so sit back and get and go, wow, you did all this for us, and it's so delicious. We you should know? applaud you. Yes. <laughs> well, do you imagine other people doing this play as well? Do you hope that it has a life in other people's kitchens without you performing it? Or do you kind of always imagine that it will be associated closely with you? It's an early early days right. for this. Right. I mean, I would actually be thrilled if other people did it. Um, and, you know, if they can't cook and if they need to buy pie to serve at the end of the play, you know, okay, it's theater. You know, not everybody has to be good at everything. Um Yes, I would have to go back and add in a lot of stage directions. When I was writing the play, I felt like I was giving the actress, I was doing her such a favor by giving her all these things to do because, you know, actors are always looking for an activity and it's, uh, you know, it's 75 minutes. It's a long time to be just talking to somebody. And then when I actually started following my own directions and talking at the same time, I realized how stupid some of them were. Or how I, I hadn't allowed for enough time to actually cut six apples before I had, you know, it was going on to the next thing. We were just rehearsing last night, and my director, Jen Plants, was like, what can you be doing right now? What haven't we done? And I was like, oh, I could, I could zest a lemon. She's like, oh, my God, that will smell amazing, and it should be easy. And you can do that without looking down at the zester. Is that right? <laughs> Yes, I can. Because that's the other thing is, um, I mean, I've had to have, I've tried to have conversations with people at uh, dinner parties while I am also trying to follow a recipe. Yeah. 
it's really hard. It's hard to have your focus split like that. Uh, and so, yes, there are there are definitely parts of the play where, at this point anyway, I am looking down and watching myself cut apples because I don't want to cut anything else. <laughs> but I also realize, you know, as a someone who's performing, you got to cheat out every once in a while. You got to look up. So. Um, yeah, it's it's been interesting trying to balance those two things. Uh, I have, I have never, I have never tried anything like this before. So important question. Yes. At the end of the play, will people get to eat pie? They sure will. And uh, this is an interesting question. Maybe you can help me with this, actually. So, the first thing that happens in the play is that I put a pie in the oven that what that I've already made. And so over the course of the play, it bakes. So you can smell it, you oh know, and the, and the kitchen, you know, heats up. This is a nice time of year to do this because it's all like cinnamony and warm. And um, so the before the last paragraph, that's when I take the pie out of the oven and say, ah, now this is what apple pie is supposed to taste like. And uh, so we'll have 20 people in the audience. A pie, one pie, can feed between 8 and 10. So we were trying to figure out whether we should bake two pies so that everybody can have a piece of pie right out of the oven or whether we should have pies pre-made that are at room temperature. Because here's the thing. As, as a baker and a, a hostess, I would never serve pie right out of the oven. It will fall apart. It's like lava. Yes. Uh, and it will fall apart. It will not be aesthetically pleasing. But there is something kind of magical about about an audience watching something happen and then being able to sort of touch and taste that thing, that actual thing. I would have, I w- especially for the first one, our first one or two, I would have enough to do both things. Right. I think that's where we've come down. So, yeah, because what's en- going to end up happening, right, is you're going to start serving the the pie that's been sitting on your back counter that's at room temperature. Mm-hmm. Room temperature, not cold. Right, room temperature. Um, but you're gonna, you can start serving that pie, and while you're doing that, pie you just pulled is cooling. A little bit, yeah. Not a lot, though. Right. Um, if people want some of the hot pie, you could talk about that. Right, exactly. Like, By the way, I think it's I will warn be them. Yeah, it's going to be super hot, and it is. I mean, normally you do. You just have to let it all cool down, and then just sort of um, structurally, it's better to cut a cold pie or a cooled pie so that it comes out as a nice slice. Why they set them on the windowsill? That's right. That's right. See, They'd freeze here. But. <laughs> This sounds like it's going to be a wonderful, fragrant, delicious theatrical evening. I'm really excited. So, And so if people want to find out more about how they can go, because this weekend's performance is sold out. It is. There is a waiting list. Uh, there is a Facebook event that's called Miss American Pie. Uh, it's being put on by a Third Ridge Theater. And... Uh, you can absolutely leave your name on a waiting list, and we will contact you when the next show is scheduled to see if you could make you know another time. There's also information on it uh, on my website, which is GwendolynRice.com, and there's a whole um, page all about the the 
summary of the play and information about uh, tickets, that sort of thing. And you could also sign up for uh, a newsletter, actually, through my website. So if we do schedule uh, some more performances, I can let you know right away. I would, I would love to see this have a, a life in lots of different kitchens. If you have a big, beautiful house and you want to have Miss American Pie in your own kitchen... Can can people tell you that, too? Absolutely. I would love to come to your house. Um, I think the minimum audience number should probably be 10, because then it's not just me and you and, you know, your best friend. (laughs) That's a little weird. (laughs) I've been to shows like that. It's weird. Although it would still be fun. I mean, we we would have a good time. But uh, just, you know, sort of to make it worthwhile and everything. Uh, Oh, and the tickets are $20 a piece, and that includes a piece of pie. And actually, if you host the the show in your house, you will receive a pie uh, that is the one that I make during the show. So I'll leave that with you, and then you can eat that at your leisure. Hot, cold, breakfast pie, lunch pie, dessert pie, whatever. Anytime is Anytime good time is for good pie. For pie. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Lindsay. This has been The Corner Table, a podcast about food and drink in Madison, Wisconsin, produced by the Capital Times. Our music was composed by Patrick Christians. The Corner Table is one of many podcasts made in this studio. We have ongoing releases from Cap Times Idea Fest and Cap Times Talks. Check out Jesse O'Poyan on the political podcast Wedge Issues every Friday. We share a studio with the guys from Center Stage at the Wisconsin State Journal, so check them out too. You can subscribe to The Corner Table wherever you get your podcasts. I am your host, Cap Times food editor Lindsay Christians. I'm about to head down to Nashville, so my wish for you today is fried chicken as hot as you want it. Cheers! This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.